0: The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents, Let's Make a Deal. HBCUs and Technology Commercialization, a professional development seminar. Featuring Program Manager and Industry Liaison, Program Analyst for the US Department of Treasury, Melissa Jenkins. Assistant Vice President for Research Innovation and Advocacy for Morgan State University, Dr. Timothy Akers. CEO and founder of the Ellison Group, LLC, Nicole Parker-Green. Executive Vice President for DelMoc Technologies, Incorporated, Lily Milner. And Chief Revenue Officer for Tanium, Thomas Stanley. Institutions of higher education, IHEs, particularly research institutions, are increasingly expected to play a role in the economic development of their communities. Regional and city governments envision startup companies emerging from university-sponsored research. Every institution believes that they will be the catalyst for a new Silicon Valley ecosystem. This seminar features a series of speakers who will describe their programs and the important role and opportunities for HBCUs, MSIs, and the area of technology commercialization. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Let's Make a Deal, HBCUs and Technology Commercialization, featuring Melissa Jenkins, Dr. Timothy Akers, Nicole Parker-Green, Lily Milner, and Thomas Stanley.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Wonder, what a wonderful session that we have started here for you today. It is an honor to be in the room with powerful thought leaders in government and HBCU universities heads and industry. I would be remiss if I didn't thank our esteemed panelists that you see here today. The Bayer team, federal government partners, and academic leaders that came from across the country to support our panel. The advocacy that we do at Treasury is synonymous to, if I can help somebody, then my living shall not be in vain. And you will see that displayed too, with our speakers who will go into areas of diversity inclusion, and how they include HBCUs to the table, a few of them will touch have touches on contracts and grant opportunities, all to help you get a seat at the table so that you can be considered and have a voice in federal government space and commercial. Today's team changes the narrative of building capacity and competitiveness for HBCUs. Today you will hear from industry as the country moves closer to becoming a minority majority population. Several opportunities exist for HBCUs from increased enrollments funding and overall attention. However, the appropriate strategic leaders and vision must be in place to take advantage of any opportunities that arise for these schools. Brian Bridges said it best. Today, in honor of Black History Month, we wanted to thank Mr. Mark E. Dean, an unsung hero in, federal, in uh, industry space. When you think of advancements in computer technology, You probably think of the names of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, but many are engineers and inventors who left their marks on the field. Computer scientist Mark E. Dean spent 30 years at IBM working to make computers more accessible and powerful. His work has made a lasting impact in the way that we use computers today. Recently on January 13th, the US Department of Treasury and the General Services Administration signed an MOU, an MOU to increase capacity for you, HBCU, where we are including you on GSA Schedule IT 70, and we're also doing the initial on-ramping to get you on Professional Services Schedule. We do have one of the HBCUs that was present. Actually, it's more than one, we have two. And one of them actually was an award recipient. So with the HBCU representatives that were in attendance at our official MOU standing stand, as well as if you are able and willing, just say a few words of what you thought that event meant to you. I have Dr. Akers and Ms. Bisahoyo from Bowie State University and Morgan State University. And if you want to say a few words of what that MOU signing meant to you, that would be fantastic.
2: Sure, I'll start. So um, I am at Bowie State University as a vice president for research. And the event that um, took place that really was the beginning, I, I hope, of a long relationship with GSA and the Department of Treasury and HBCUs, um, it was very impactful. It really showed that sectors can come together, can be honest that we, you know, there are some that have been challenges, but to really look at future opportunities and how they can bring resources to support us as we move to getting on the GSA schedule and furthering our enhancement with contracting to sustain our institutions.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Dr. Akers?
3: Uh, thank you, Ms. Jenkins. I have to echo what Dr. Bessacoya said is one of the things I would strongly suggest is that networking is everything. It's almost networking is a religion. Is being able to network and collaborate with federal agents such as Ms. Jenkins and others at GSA and Treasury is what opens the door up. And when you have agents, federal officials like Ms. Jenkins who are willing to take a risk and approach innovation such as the establishment of the University Affiliated Research Center um, that no one has, um, outside of DOD, that says a lot. And I think networking, getting to know your federal uh, officials is to me is the most important.
1: Fantastic, thank you, Dr. Akers. Without further ado, I will begin with introducing the panelists. And we will start with Ms Lily Miller, who will Milner rather, who will just tell you a little bit about herself and why she's so passionate about HBCUs and how she works with building capacity. And competitiveness for HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I
2: don't mean to interrupt, but I wanted yes. to say that we had another colleague that was at the event. Oh, awesome. I didn't want them to miss the opportunity to just share how
4: important Fantastic. Oh. <laughs> okay, my name is Andy Scott. I'm with Alabama m I'm the head of the uh, RISE Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit <laughs> that handles contracting for the university. Uh, we were recognized for having a GSA schedule at the, the Treasury event here a few weeks ago, and it was. Uh, a good opportunity. Um, it really helped us make some great contacts with some of the folks at GSA. We've really been, in fact, we've had four or five meetings just in the last month or so trying to get, you know, figure out how we can exercise this more and get some more opportunities going. So it's a, it's a really good program that we should probably all look into, into getting involved with. I think the GSA schedules and, you know, having that access, the quick access to these agencies is, is key. So we're, we're excited about you know, pursuing some more opportunities and getting some things going.
1: Fantastic.
2: Thank you so much, sir. And now I'll move it back to Miss Lilly. I'm excited to be here. Um, one reason that I've been so passionate about working with HBCUs is because uh, there's a lot of knowledge there, but wisdom means that ability to act on that knowledge. And so I consider the capacity building that we've been doing, Delmont Technologies, over the last five to six years with Morgan State, with Bowie State, and what have you, is about making sure that the knowledge they have, that now they're acting on that. I think that one of the things that we first have to dispel is that failure just means you're on your way to success. And oftentimes, because of um the makeup of our university sometimes they feel that failure oh I failed with this let me you know pack it up and be done with it and mine is okay you're one place closer to being successful you know we hear about the Steve Jobs we hear about the Edison's the Einstein's and everything but nobody taught the Ben Franklin's nobody talks about how many innovations failed before they became successful so the fact that you're here to me means that you are ready to continue on this journey no matter what life brings. So mine is about motivating, you know, I've worked with, you know, Dr. Acres over here for years and there's no silly idea we're energized, we know that it's just around the corner, but you know, we're not going to be found just all oh it didn't work. We're going to be excited because that next opportunity is around the corner. So the goal today for me is to inspire you to do whatever God has placed in your heart and get it done.
1: Fantastic, Miss Lily. You know, Miss Lily is being quite humble here. Delmock Technologies was the recipient of the HubZone Business of the Year, Small Business of the Year, at the US Department of Treasury, holding
2: contracts in what area, Miss Lilly? Um, all types of technology from operations made in and cybersecurity, application development um one of the things we're doing right now is a bit different which is water utilities with um with WSSC, which is Mm -hmm. the third largest water utility in the united states so and we're looking at doing some gaming the gaming industry many of you have heard is really taking over these states and if we don't have a seat at the table you know it's like just like the you know the, the car industry the gaming industry is about to get blow up and this means that we need to be sitting at the table getting a piece of what is in store for us. So those are the kinds of things that we continue to champion and motivate others to work on. Fantastic. And who knows the value of mentorship? Um, this
1: is my second going and third year at the U.S. Department of Treasury. Um, and I was quickly raised to the ranks, served as an intern, started my federal career at U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and now at Treasury. And I have the honor to introduce one of my mentors, Dr. Timothy Akers that I literally bug, I know he probably <laughs> wants to have we kill me or choke me sometimes, calling him at two o'clock in the morning, he answers and he mentors me and he, he holds me step by step to provide guidance. So without further ado, Dr. Akers.
3: Thanks a lot, Ms. Jenkins. I just want to like to, um, I'm a person of faith, so I often believe that um, when it's meant for your paths to cross right there, so our paths have crossed, thanks to Miss Lillie here also, um, that has allowed us and motivated um, mentorship is something they're not just words on a page. If the student who in here are students, raise your hand. Who in here are faculty, raise your hand. Those that are not raising your hand, may I ask what are What is your back? Uh, entrepreneurships, entrepreneurs, business people, industry, government. Okay, okay, all of that requires mentorship. One of the aspects if you're mentee or your protege is not, if they don't feel the passion that you have in you, why would they listen to you? They've got to believe and feel and see what you do. How can I promote any, when I first, let me back up a little bit. It was in 2011 when I first met one of um, Delmont Technologies, uh, Lance, uh, that Lance inter- Lucas, that introduced, uh, well first facilitated. So as Miss Lily and I went out to lunch to get to know each other, we were basically filling each other out. and. It, It resulted, because of that relationship, resulted in a number of different contracts, IDIQs and others. Am I misrepresenting that? No. So it's been a win-win for both Morgan and we believe DTI as well. But it happens, truly happens, when they're able to see work product. They're able to see something tangible, touch, feel, taste, or smell, on behalf of Morgan State University. And as an HBCU, I've worked at TWIs and HBCUs and I was at the US Centers for Disease Control for a decade in the Office of Minority Health, and I funded Tuskegee, Meharry, Morehouse, Florida a and Texas Southern, Howard, Hampton, Charles and Xavier, and if I've learned anything, I've seen incredible genius that of individuals that I have mentored, a big chunk of how I mentor. And in doing that, I've come to realize you cannot do it in isolation. So working with companies such as DTI and others in order in support of Treasury and others such as Miss Jenkins. It's it's about living and exemplifying what you're preaching. Sorry to ramble on.
1: Fantastic. And now I have the honor to introduce Miss Nicole Parker. Miss Nicole Parker, I met years ago during my career at Department of Homeland Security. There she was doing um, coming to our industry days, um, our vendor outreach sessions and doing the good work of making sure that women-owned small businesses such as herself got a seat at the table. Very strong advocate for women-owned small businesses and also for HBCUs. Without further ado, Ms. Parker. Thank you, so I'll regurgitate some of what um, my
5: panel colleagues today have said. I think it's very important. Um, You talked about being a person of faith. I'm certainly a person of faith. Without God, we wouldn't be anywhere, but I wanna tell just quickly a 30-second overview of my story and being in the room and sitting at the table to be able to give back to HBCUs um, is an incredible thing. I started off um, at an HBCU. A lot of my family members went to a HBCU. I graduated from Virginia Union University where I actually sit on the board there. But I had my son in college. And out of college, um, I relocated back to Washington, D.C. and became a federal employee for two years then on to a contractor, and then on to a entrepreneurship entrepreneur and entrepreneurship. And so my day job, I would call my day-to-day operations, is the Ellison Group, which we are a program and project management firm managing new construction and renovation projects, uh, primarily in the federal space. Uh, fast forward over the last 10 years, technology has become the forefront in construction. And so as a woman, Um, And a minority woman having to grow up in the construction arena and only standing about five feet tall, five (laughs) feet one, I always say I've had to walk three times as fast. Well, with technology becoming the forefront of construction, you have to walk five times as fast. And so sitting at the table today, one of the passions for me in giving back to HBCUs, I would say in my community job, is to get more minorities into technology as fast as it's growing and with that bringing HBCUs up to par. We have 107 HBCUs and of those 107, roughly 34 of them have technology programs and, most, and over 50% of those are out of date because technology is moving so fast. And so we, I want to be able to, um, I'm in the process of developing a program that will launch this fall that will help HBCU students uh, get internships and work with the Fortune 500s and 100s that I have the opportunity to sit at the table with, as well as the federal government agencies, and so I am aligned with the first five HBCUs that um, I attended and my family members attended, and I hope to actually expand that to 107, so that is why I'm here to get more of us at the table on the
1: technology side. Fantastic, Ms. Parker. Have you ever met someone and instantaneously you connected and you feel that, wait a minute, I just met someone and we're going to be doing some great things. Well, Mr. Stanley is that person. I just met him virtually a week ago, but instantaneously I knew that we will be doing some great things for HBCU. Without further ado, Mr. Stanley.
6: Thank you. Good afternoon. Yeah, we did just meet a week ago. Speaking (laughs) of, uh, mentoring is also important to be a good friend and a good sponsor, and there was someone else that was supposed to be here today, and I was in Australia and I got a message last week saying, I can't make this event, can you stand in my spot? And I happen to be getting back in the country yesterday in time to do that, so I'm honored to be here. Um, I am a proud alumnus of the North Carolina a State University, so forgive me for my pin, but I feel good about wearing it. Um, I take a lot of pride in the historically black college experience um, what i have to do though is not only be an advocate for a and and all of the universities out there i have to make sure corporations understand that these students have choices so let me tell you what i mean by that so my current role i am chief revenue officer for a company called tanium we provide software at the endpoint for companies we do lots of government contracts What I can say publicly is that over 600,000 devices for the Department of Defense have our software running on them. Laptops, desktops, storage devices, you name it, around the world. We all know cybersecurity is a hot topic, and so we are a market leader in that selling to the global 2000, which is why I was in Australia. My um, career prior to here was 13 years at a company called NetApp, 10 years with a company called Silicon Graphics, And prior to that, 12 years with a company called IBM. Yes, I'm that old. Um, (laughs) I go back to the point around talking to other companies. I'm here at Bayer because I see my peers in different organizations. And they come to these conferences. And what they assume about HBCU students is that that was their only option. And what I take a lot of pride is making sure these universities know that students choose organizations for different reasons, but it's rarely because they don't have another option. It's rarely because the university that they selected is not on par. I have children that had the opportunity to go to, we live in the Maryland area, had the opportunity to go to Georgetown, Johns Hopkins, and the University of Maryland. And turned all three of them down and chose to go to North Carolina a and so I am very passionate about making sure organizations understand that these students have a choice the curriculums are the same if not extremely similar and you need to look at them as a product to come into your organization so in that regard the next phase for me with companies including my own is to make sure they understand if you're not sure offer to the point that Nicole just mentioned, offer the opportunity for internships and co-ops. The best way to vet candidates and talent is to create summer experiences and co-op experiences that both teach them and allow you to have visibility to what they bring to market. So I have a lot of passion around pushing that and we're doing that in my company and I try to do that again with my peer companies. The last thing I say is that um, diversity and inclusion is important for both my company, all organizations, including government, state entities, university entities, et cetera. We all know when you have diversity of thought, you create a higher end product. And so you can't just say that and exclude HBCUs. And so I'm passionate about getting that message across. And my ask is anyone that's recruiting at HBCUs, think through that lens. Anyone that's at one, be proud of your experience. If you're not at one, that's okay as well. Reach out and find one. Thank you.
1: Excellent. So now we're going to move into unpacking this and what this means for you guys. And we'll move into the questions. How, and this is to the panelists, so it doesn't have to be in any particular order. How do HBCUs define technology commercialization for their universities? Dr. Akers.
3: Yeah, I, I really, uh, I, when you said technology commercialization, what really intrigued on me is that Think of it in this context, and it's really important to think of this. I actually, um, I was just talking with our uh, director of our office of tech transfer. Think of technology commercialization from HBCUs in the context of technology transfer and licensing, because if, for example, myself and others, um, we've created technologies, but ultimately what we want to do, and there are some going to be presenting. Dr. Nyarko will receive one of the awards, one of our double E's, uh, distinguished uh, faculty member who also works with me in a co-patent that we've developed as well. But as an example, HBCUs and technology commercialization is so important that the private sector approaches the HBCU, not only some of the TWIs out there, but the HBCUs and say, hey, we would like to license that technology or help in some way to uh, commercialize it, further develop it. Give you an example. Just last Friday, a, a young company, um, 25 uh, something year olds literally um, incredible they were at the uh, gala the um, hub zone gala that um, miss Lily and others organized and facilitated and they came to me because they want to recruit um, Uh, students, not because they have to, but they're socially conscious. You know what I mean? At HBCUs, they see the genius out there, but they also want to help contribute to the technology that we've put in there to commercialize it. And they say, hey, Dr. Akers, we work 24-7. They're gamers. They're white hat hackers. You're white hat hackers. They're also um, uh, that type of mindset. So the commercialization uh, to answer, um, Lisa, is how do you take that? Is to get companies who are willing to come to HBCUs. I was at a meeting at a large university this past Friday, last Friday, I'm sorry, um, last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, uh, what is it? Two days ago, Tuesday, Mm -hmm. I make a long story short, it was at a major university in Baltimore, I'll just leave it at that. And the problem is, is they people tend to go to the major universities for technology issues, and they don't necessarily approach some of the HBCUs. So I say in technology commercialization, think about approaching the HBCUs to think about licensing that technology. And it's, um, it's what Morgan, we just um, established an office of tech transfer. So we've already got two licensed two technologies that are patented out there and being commercialized right now. So
1: I was I actually going to throw a question in there that oh. you probably weren't prepared for. <laughs> um, how could an HBCU be a disruptor in this market from where you sit?
3: Oh, I love that question, to disruptor, is, and I don't like this overstated cliche or phrase, to think outside the box, but don't even think of the box. Be a disruptor, in my experience, and and, and Miss Lilly's known me for quite a while, right, in our team, you've got to think of issues and ideas that are extreme. This, what I have on my lapel, is I created this with my students. We created what was called Morgan Extreme. It was the group of young women and men that are so far disruptors that the canary who's heard this story canary in the coal mine, raise your hand. And what it is is canaries back in old West Virginia, Kentucky coal mines. They would keep singing. But when they quit singing, that means the methane is increasing. So you better get the heck out of that mine. So it was Mm -hmm. called canary in the coal mine. Our students, if they keep singing, meaning keep telling the innovations out there, don't get humble so much to where you're afraid to express your views. So to disrupt is to be open, to be candid, disrupt, everybody's pathway. Introduce an idea that can sometimes be almost ridiculously um, what would appears to be like extreme. Mm-hmm. That's how I would call it. Excuse Fantastic. me. Did I ramble on yeah. too much? No. <laughs> you,
2: one of the things I want to add to this is that connection of knowledge and wisdom and some of the things we're doing with Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times um, HBCUs forget the story. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Bill Gates became Microsoft. Because IBM said no. If IBM had said yes, it would have been a totally different story. So don't be willing to sell off your gifts for that quick fix. Mm. That is a danger that I see with some of the things that are coming out of these HBCUs that are so innovative that um, folks are like, oh, somebody wants me. So let me go. No, don't give it away. Be aware of your worth. The reason you're in that room and having that conversation is because you have something that someone else wants. And the danger I'm seeing with all of this activity is that folks are at the point where they may be giving away their blessing and not even knowing that. I mean, remember, the wisdom of Bill Gates is if they had not said no, he would not be where he is because they had the licensing. So be aware of those relationships and that's why it's important a disruptor for uh, Morgan state is they engaged a patent attorney that understands this and so they're not going to lose when it hits the market. Many of you might be saying oh let's get a license, but if you don't have the great patent attorney that's understanding the importance of what you have. You're going to be at, at the back of the room, and somebody's going to make a whole lot of money off of what you put your sweat and tears into. Awesome. Does Do any of the other panelists have anything to add? I was
5: going to say to add to that, I've seen this, and I don't want to uh, mention the Fortune 100 client, but they often have, um, and, and it's a bottling company, but they often have, um, on the marketing and digital uh, marketing side, they often have. Um, different events or different contests where they use a lot of students from HBCUs or that are out there from tech companies. And so they'll win these contests and you may get a contract for 50,000. And so sometimes when you sit in that seat, it's not really knowing your worth because they take that and they monopolize off of it or capitalize off of it. So being careful when you enter into something like that, and and she talked about a patent attorney, and we obviously know at your age or starting out you don't have the money for those types of attorneys. But really, 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 um, and I can probably look at you, um, Melissa, I can say that she's been a great mentor for us in the federal government space, because there are many events that she sent us to or programs through the federal government that are free that give you free insight and free information. So I encourage you, when you're out there, you're going to put your product out there, just really making sure that you do know what your worth, worth is because if you look at the Forbes under 30, look at all of those people, and that's another thing that I'm trying to change, all of those people, we want to get some of our um, African-Americans or minorities in there because these are people that are coming up with one and two ideas, and they're, they're making um, millions of dollars off of it. So we want to make sure that our HBCU students can
1: do the same. Fantastic. Did you have anything to add, sir? Okay. Can Moving on one, to the, one, the next. Quick, one yes. quick. Absolutely.
3: When Miss Lilly talked about us, um, when she talked about um, Bill Gates, how many of you think Steve Jobs was a programmer? Raise your hand. He was an artistic designer. He took his knowledge and brought the right and took and was a leader in creating the Apple. But what he did was he created it backwards. He drew out everything on whiteboards that laid out exactly how it would look with the apps and and envisioned apps apps like an app store and worked backwards. And and he didn't define himself by his degree. Most people, if you're a double E or whatever other background, you define yourself by your degree. Don't do that. Do not do that. I often say, if everybody looks like me, thinks like me, talks like me, and is trained like me, why do you need me? Put yourself in that. Thank you.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Akers. What role has technology disparity play in for HBCUs as it relates to compliance in pursuing federal government contracts and or grants?
3: What role does HBCUs play in technology disparities? As mm-hmm. it comes into this, mm-hmm. very, very, very important. Think of this. Disparities are almost invariably a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. And in that dichotomy, you've got an institution, hypothetically, that has a teaching load of two and two. The professors are teaching maybe two semesters and or two classes and two classes. In HBCUs, we typically have a teaching load, the disparity is four and four. Mm-hmm. So they're teaching extensively, while at the same time, the expectations are for them to do research and create product and create technologies and innovations while and mentor and serve on committees. They don't have the le- So the disparity starts there, in my experience, first and foremost. And then th- this is where the federal government comes in. The federal government, and I I can speak to this because I was in it for a decade, Um, the federal government expects the HBCUs to operate at the exact same level as uh, their non-HBCU counterparts, and that is where the disparity lies. At CDC, we created what was called the Minority Health Professions Foundation because the nine institutions that I expressed to you that I uh, helped um, um, oversee in terms of the funding and others, they were getting very small amounts. Until the Minority Health Professions Foundation was created, we were able to create that to direct more. We had to think so much out of the box, as you are, Miss Jenkins, in relation mm-hmm. to the UART. The bottom line is if we cannot expect to operate on the same level playing field if you expect the same outcomes and they're not operating equally. When right. I have our faculty are teaching four and four classes, and other institutions nearby are teaching one and one or one and two, in my humble opinion, those are the challenges. Not to say we can't overcome them by any means, okay. but it just puts. And I agree, but it just puts a heck of a burden on our faculty.
2: And the discussion that we have, and the discussion that we've been having, is the difference between, you know, equity and equality. Mm-hmm. You know the reason we're here is because we want equity not equality equity is a very different story Mm -hmm. it's a difference between understanding that somebody may in fact you know we talk about ada you know we know that you have wheelchair accessible and all of that and these changes have been um taking place on a federal level and trickling down to the state and local that's about equity it's not about equality and so when those conversations take place and you're sitting in the room being of color, you have to be able to flip the script and say, I'm not having an equal conversation with you because that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I'm having an equity conversation. And equity is how disparities are eliminated. And I love what you said, Miss um, Lily.
1: equity, because you have provided equity to some HBCUs. Because can you unpack that
2: a little bit to highlight some of these successes that you have had? One of the things that um, we talk about mentorship, one of the things that we did and our company is located in Baltimore. We're located in the center of what they call the red light district in Baltimore. So when I talk about that, there's crack deals on the side, there's all of those kinds of things, but we're staying. What that means is the students that are coming- But you built a new building. We did, yes. (laughs) But what we're doing is we do two interviews with them. We do the first interview, which is your typical, I call it the IBM interview. Oh, tell us about yourself, blah, (laughs) blah, blah. Then we tell them we're going to do the second one. The second one is what I call black church. And that's the best way to say it, because mama's (laughs) going to see you at the church. And if you have your belly showing, she's going to put grandma's going to pull it down. She's going to make sure that you look right. So we look at their resume and say, you see all these errors. You I need you. If you want to work here, go back, fix this and send it back. And, and start building them. So we're not afraid to have the conversation about, you came here with a hat on your head as a male, with, you know, and, and, and why didn't you take your hat off? You came with, you know, sneakers on, you were coming for an interview. It is that we are creating, they, you know, if you don't have the conversation, nobody's gonna change. And it really is up to us to be not afraid of them saying, well, why'd you say that Miss Lily? Because it's true. They're gonna say it, but they're going to get rid of you. I'm gonna say it and I'm gonna keep you. And so it is our job, and I say my job, because I'm taking on as a woman of color to make sure that I'm sending these young people out to succeed because they know the story. They're able to speak both languages. They're brilliant, I don't want them to stop. So those are the kinds of things we've had probably about 13 to 14 different young people stay with us from literally from freshmen to graduate, to become employees. And each of them has offered us a better understanding about how to work with young people and mm-hmm. how to help them to excel and use their gifts.
1: Fantastic. And I know Ms. Parker does a wonderful job with giving back to the community and she, I would like her to touch a little bit about how she started, because we know it wasn't a fantastic journey because folks are you making. All of these million dollar contractual awards and they think that life is just golden for you over there and we know that that's not necessarily true but as well as even with making that for your company you do a whole lot with community and i wanted you to talk a little bit about the wonderful equitable opportunities that you do for so community. on the um ellison
5: group foundation side again virginia which was my alma mater Um, and now on to uh, Bowie State and um, locally Prince George's Community College we've had students work with us over the summer as well as we have a scholarship program at Virginia Union for um, teen moms because I had my son in college um, and, and under entrepreneurship and technology and so we launched that about four years ago um, at a hundred thousand dollars and so we put into that program every year but the newest program again will will be able to have collaboration with fortune 100s and 500s as well as the federal government that will kick off for hbcus this year and so it's really big for us to um, give back and as she said, you know, having that voice, I call it courageous transparency with kind candor. So don't be afraid to speak <laughs> or step up. Yes. And yes. So um, if we don't um, voice it and, I, and I'd say I'm fighting that fight every day, even at the table that I sit up, sit at at my day job as a CEO for Ellison. I can go in uh, with the same black suit that I have on. And I may be sweeping the floor on a construction site today and sitting on a panel the next day or sitting in the boardroom. But my job is my job. Um, and on my philanthropic side is to give back and know that I am just like you. I'm no different. There's no secret to anything that I believe all four of us do across the table. We're just like you. And it's just a matter of how much we put into it and that we're consistent and we stay committed, um, because we all had to start somewhere, but the climb is still the climb at every decade. Um, Everything is cyclical and you're going to always have those battles. So just remember courageous transparency with kind candor.
0: You're listening to Let's Make a Deal, HBCU's and technology commercialization, a professional development seminar featuring Melissa Jenkins, Dr. Timothy Akers, Nicole Parker Green, Lily Milner, and Thomas Stanley. Brought to you by the Global Catalyst for Change, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.
1: Fantastic. And now we're gonna move on to Mr. Stanley, who takes deliberate approaches every day. You heard a little bit about how his children are going to HBCUs, but he does deliberate approaches at each company that he sits at the helm at. So I wanted him to talk a little bit about those choices that he makes.
6: Thank you. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier about not just representing my corporation, but also you know, working with peers. I'm a member of an organization called EOC, Executive Leadership Council, and several C-suite executives. We. We have three missions. One is around board development. The other is around, you know, building the next CEOs and also building, you know, young leaders and mentoring leaders. And so in that capacity, when I work with that group, we talk about how do we make sure our corporations are being fiscally responsible with the equity that they have in terms of how they spend it. So, as an example, one thing uh, we we launched with one organization is you must have, before you make any management decision at least two minority candidates as a part of the interview process. Yeah. so let so let me let me play that back. So, um, anyone in the room ever heard the Rooney rule? So the Rooney rule in, in the NFL started with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Brown the Rooney family, was the idea that you had to have at least one minority candidate before you offered an NFL job. Well, if you look at, and, and so you could argue how successful it's been because going into next year, we'll have less uh, minority coaches in the NFL than we've had in the last five years. But, but rooted in this foundation is interesting. What we, we took was the data that shows If you have one minority candidate versus having two minority candidates, you will hire 60% more of the time a minority candidate. So what we're pushing for is to not just say there's one potential candidate for the job. You must have at least two minority candidates in my organization before you extend an offer. Why do you do that? You do that because you want to force the organization to be diverse saying diversity and inclusion versus measuring it is materially different and so when people want to talk about programs whether it be a program in my company or they want to say you know programs with the government my debate back to them is if the world were equal then maybe those programs wouldn't exist would you argue with me that the world is not equal and so the answer to the question is the world is not equal so since it's not the federal government and other governments and other entities and other business leaders have to lean in to help counsel, to help sponsor an environment for us to compete, right? And so I have a lot of passion on ensuring that happens with my peer groups. And so my ask to this audience is, always think about what you can do and control in your own organizations, but always think about how you can influence your peers. Mm-hmm. Right. I benefit from listening to these three people talking because I pick up a nugget that I can take somewhere else. Right. So I'll give that back to you.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so Sorry. much. Well, you we
6: got a question.
0: question
6: oh. Well, that's a great. So, so his point is his question is what defines minority? Right. So it is all races, all sexual orientation, you know, so so everything is is on the table. So I'll be overly transparent about that for me. I want to make sure that I'm not only partial to African-Americans, because because I am, I want to make sure I'm just driving a diversity conversation, right? Because I believe if you open up the conversation to there's a you know, leadership opportunity and we have three males going through the process and there are no females, that's a problem in my mind, mm-hmm. right? Because I have homogeneous thinking across the leadership team. So it, so it's broad and diverse, it is broad and diverse. Now.
5: I would say, ever growing in yeah, the industry <laughs> from between the federal government as well as um, Fortune 500s and Fortune 100s.
6: But Thank looking you. at you, young man, if you're in the room when those discussions are being had, you are representing diversity. So make sure you're in the room. All right? All right.
5: Fantastic. And I would just add to that. Um, he said a key point if you're in the room, I had someone tell me, ask me one time. Um, And this is thinking outside of the box. And so for me, in growing, and I still do it in strategy, the object is not to be the number one person in the room. The object is to get in the room. Because once you're in the room, if you're in the room with the number one people, then you're in the room and you're going somewhere.
1: That's a good point. So I'll make sure and be in the room.
2: (laughs) You're doing a good job of that.
1: (laughs) What are some of the factors that might prevent your company from working with an HBCU? And what tools would you provide for them to help them tool up in the procurement and grant writing process?
5: So for me, if I started, um, I'm a big check the box person. Mm -hmm. I'm also a project manager by trade. I just grew up as a project manager. So I'm a multitasker and I have to have my task list. I just can't work without a task. And so for me, um, in my mind, my mind says I want all of these 107 HBCUs, the uh, minorities, the African-Americans of the world, because I am also African-American, to be able to have the opportunity to sit at the tables that I sit at and be in the rooms that I'm in. And so how do I do that? I have to take baby steps, right? And so how can I add value? Because I'm still small and growing. I'm a company of 55, um, um, but in, in how can I be the best value to others, and so it's starting small, starting at my university, Virginia Union, which is in Mm -hmm. Richmond, Virginia, where I have a background in federal government contracting. I know everything about GSA schedule, all types of minority certifications, and so me, the value starts there using those tools that I currently have in my toolbox because I'm making a difference somewhere that will begin to expand in other places. Mm -hmm. And so that is what I'm doing at Virginia Union, educating them on cybersecurity, educating them on federal government contracting, educating them on GSA schedules.
2: Now You said the word prevent? Prevent. Prevent. Okay, for me, it's a little different. I am not a a list person. I wrote my first list this year, (laughs) last weekend, because I started going, okay. I need to budget, I need to do that. I am not that. I just, I'm a spirit person. So what prevents me is integrity. So if I'm talking to someone, and that's why I've been working with Dr. Akers and different, and um, Anika and, and different folks. If I'm talking to you and you keep your word, it doesn't matter how much I, how, how low you consider yourself or you, the skill level. If you're keeping your word, I'm gonna pour into you. So it's about that integrity, that integrity and you being truthful. You know, hey, Miss Lily, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this. Thank mm-hmm. you. It's about that, you know, you know that song, Be Real. Mm-hmm. It's about their ability to say, this is where I am. I need help, and I'm willing to do my homework. So the integrity is you do what you say you're going to do, and, and you don't hide out because you haven't done your homework or did what have you. You own who you are. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're doing that, I'm going to work with you.
1: Fantastic. I know, Ms. Lilly, you have worked hand-in-hand with a couple of the HBCUs. In doing the building blocks of their capability statement. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that walk was like and what you
2: were looking for? So, Nicole mentioned something. Um, One of the things that she mentioned, you know, sweeping the floor, doing whatever it needs to be done. Um, Melissa, you know, Dr. Akers, what have you, they know this about me. It's like, okay. I was given all these skills by God for a purpose, which means I'm writing resumes, so I'm doing proposal writing, executive vice president. You're not supposed to be doing that, you know. I'm making the phone calls, I'm connecting with my my folks. It is like there is no job that we go. Oh, I only do that. Mm-hmm. If we want you to be successful, then hey, I may need to go shopping with you to get the right outfit because you know you're meeting somebody that is a decision maker and you have never had that opportunity. So it means taking somebody's hand, creating a partnership, and not letting go. And like you said, the working with, um, it's being transparent. Mm-hmm. It's, be, it's saying that, you know what, you did something and you didn't keep your word, or this was really sloppy, I'm, I'm really surprised you did that, and to be honest about it. And that has allowed us to work together. Um, there have been times we've had, you know, We've done, you know, um, Dr. Akers will say to me, I don't have anybody to do graphic art, okay? I got Kevin down in Arizona, he can do it. Just tell me what you need. So it's that that type of, you know, I look at this and say, the best way to say this is you went dating, you got married and there's no divorce. And so because we went in there with that option of once we connected, there's no divorce, then you gotta be willing to sit down with people and say, what you like and what you don't, and, and work it out. And champion them at any point. You know, I'm always saying to folks, folks who say, oh, I can't get in touch with anybody Morgan. Well, you haven't spoken to Dr. Akers. You haven't spoken to Kimberly. You haven't exactly. spoken to that. And then I say to them, well, that, I said, when you try to get in touch with Maryland University, nobody complains that you can't get in touch with them. So don't make it like it's the HBCU thing. Exactly. It is a university thing. you know." folks are so intellectual and, and what have you and in their own little mm-hmm. space, they sometimes don't think about that they need to return this phone call in a timely fashion. So right. let's move the story. You know, it's not about, you know, the type of university, it's just what universities consider important. Right.
1: And I wanted to ask a question, um, what type of national security issues? Cause I know that HBCUs are working on national security issues mm-hmm. in a contracting posture. And we don't want folks to go away thinking that all HBCUs do is research and development or just run after grants. Can someone speak a little bit about that?
6: I'll go first, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was graduating in the early mid 80s from a and um, we were, uh, you know, computer science was a hot discipline then. It's still mm-hmm. a hot discipline now. '30s. You know, years later, 30-some years later, whether it was Treasury, IRS, DOD, NSA, other agencies. I mean, the federal government led the path in terms of, you know, going to HBCUs and going to universities for top talent in the area of programming, in the area of engineering and engineering discipline. Right. So if you were in those fields, all you had to do is be good, right? As I tell my kids, there's no substitute for being good at what you do, right? And if you're good at what you do, there will be tremendous opportunities for you, right? And I still see that today in the world of cybersecurity, in the world of IT hygiene, in the world of application development. Everyone's got to think about how I protect my IP how I protect my assets. So I just mm-hmm. think there's endless opportunities in government, in government contracting, in public sector, and private sector, all around technology and, and securing the environment. I mean, there are people that want to hurt us. Anyone in the room with the Census Bureau? Okay, so I got a call two weeks ago from the Census Bureau's mm-hmm. this quasi-public information, saying we need a few of your resources, 24 by seven, because we have all the data that proves the Russians are trying to hack into our system, right? One of the persons we sent was an African-American female to go help them on that project, right? And so I took a lot of pride in knowing we had one of the best software engineers in our company that Mm -hmm. looked like me, actually didn't come from an HBCU, to be quite honest but she represented the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And those opportunities are there if you're good at what you do. Sorry,
3: sorry, Mm sir, I cut you off, Tim. No, no, quite to the contrary. His point is right on. National security, as Lisa just mentioned, I have a number of students on record um, that are in, in, we have basically 16 IC agencies in the U.S., um, intelligence community agencies, and those agencies are staffed by about um, 20,000 unofficial um, intelligence analysts. And we have students um, personally I have students that are represented in in a number of those agencies and the recent without going to all the details in some of them, but recently within the even the secret service, but I had um, one student who came, who she just graduated, Kimberly Smith, right there, graduated. She was Baltimore police, retired African-American woman, retired Baltimore police. She was doing background, top secret investigations. She comes, I didn't know her. She didn't know me. She came to my office about five years ago, four years ago. And so she started talking about my students that they were doing background checks on. They didn't put me down. They're great students, but they had their friends down and others. Make a long story short, she went off list. So they started doing background checks of people you don't put down. And when they did that, she approached me. I started talking to her. Guess what? Just past May, she just graduated with her bachelor's in criminology because she, she didn't ever have a bachelor's degree. We brought her into Morgan. But we have students right now that are working in a number of the IC agencies for national security because now they become part of our um, our resources that if we need to kind of ad- adjust adjust, and talk to and find out what's going on. and. Everything. We just had DITRA, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, also at campus, and they've attended. I can keep going through yeah. the list, and as Lily knows, she's been part of it, and they've helped sponsor a number of initiatives DTI has. We've had terrorism groups panels uh, that we focused on. We've had to show the intelligence community that HBCUs can effectively compete I'm a national. I'm former military and a lot of other lives that can effectively compete on addressing national security issues. And we think we've done a pretty good job of that. But the only way we could do that is invite them to our campus to show them. We've had DARPA show up. We've had a number of FBI showed up. We've got a number of different agencies that have come to our campus simply because national security was the way we pushed it. So your points are right on.
2: The story that we're not telling, though, and this is to me being um, in the business community, um I watched this show that talks about trial science uh-huh. and what we're not saying is the loyalty of HBCUs they chose to go to HBCUs it's a different kind of person which means that in the cybersecurity in the computer industry people are leaving from one They're job hopping a year and a half you know two years oh whoever gives me more money but when you when you hire a person of color their average longevity is so much longer you cannot I mean you, when you look at your budget and say how much it costs to get another person to point. do, to go and, and do the hiring, to train them and everything else. Mm-hmm. And you're saying the average one of us stays in five years. That's a great investment. Mm-hmm. So that that story we're not Straight telling point. that that loyalty, because we look at a job in a different way. We're not framing to go from one to the next to whatever. We're looking at it to make a difference.
1: Fantastic. Um, this question is actually for Mr. Stanley. How does your business diversity and inclusion play into collaborating with HBCUs? The question is twofold. So I'll ask the other one. <laughs>
6: um, so, um, so, around the I was p- speaking about diversity and inclusion earlier. Specifically to my company, I mentioned you know the hiring piece of managers. So that's that's one big area. The this, this second area is actually um, if you're familiar with Amy. Um, so we work with Amy and the Amy schools specifically in terms of actually trying to recruit talent. There, there's an excuse that's made in corporate America and often, which is, uh, I'll, uh, here's the talk track. I'd hire more minorities or more diverse candidates, but HR is not giving me the, the candidate pool, right? That, that's that's the common talk track in corporate America, right? If, you know, and so the that's code for, I don't own it as the hiring manager; it's HR's responsibility. And mm-hmm. so, because they can't give me a candidate, then so what? What I've chosen to do is leverage organizations like Amy to say, "Look, we'll put you on retainer. We want you to help us mm-hmm. bring through some of the best and brightest students, so we don't miss that opportunity." And I don't allow my peer in the organization to have that as an excuse. Awesome. <laughs> okay.
0: Do any of the other panelists
1: have questions? In? Back there? You have a question. So, my, my question for you is: uh, so, when it comes to making hiring decisions in corporate America, uh, so many people fail because, in terms of the interview process, um, because they don't have uh, the secret sauce of what it might take to pass the uh, engineering test that they give to get the job, right? Um, how
5: does corporate America or your organization open its kimono just a bit?
1: To
2: level
6: the playing field of knowledge, and in terms of what can help them pass that job interview to get hired. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> so I don't know that we're there yet. So, right. I, I'm transparently, right. If I don't have a great answer, I won't give you one. But I, I don't know that we're there yet. I'll tell you what we, we are doing, and what I try to influence is, I, I want to look at the whole person in the interview process. So, so sometimes there are tests. And i want to be careful i don't sound victim or create a crutch for anyone sometimes there are tests that we absolutely know certain people won't perform as well as others Mm -hmm. and if that is your only bar or criterion for bringing someone in then there's a different issue in the organization so i'll just i'll just say that right so i'm really big on we're looking at the whole person right i want to uh, I want to understand character things, right? So so we try to broaden the interview pool so we don't just do, as an example, panel interviews, right? So some companies will do just panel interviews, and all it takes is one person in the room to feel strongly against the candidate, and they don't make it through, right? I'm like, panel interviews are just one of the inputs, right? So I try to really push on, okay, testing can't be the only thing, panel interviews can't be the other one, only thing. You can't just tell me if they didn't have an internship, then we can't hire them, because some people just, you know, so I'm trying to really round out the decision making, so it creates a scoring system for the hire, as opposed to a pass or fail on, on one set of exams. Does that does that help? Thank
3: you. There's a question.
1: I have another question. Yes, sir, answer
6: to
0: answer your question, um, first, I'm very excited everyone is here. I yes. recognize you
3: from someone I can't remember where I've met you from, but I'm part of the C D staff. Okay. And my okay. responsibility is to recruit students to this conference. And regarding take up what you said, is the workshops. Mm-hmm. That's when you get some of yeah. yeah. that's when you get to see you folks like yourself, come back to homeboy, girlfriend. This is what you need to start doing. Mm.
6: So, so speaking of the workshops, um, pick the platform. Being able to articulate what you actually know is really important. Mm -hmm. I mean, taking the time, whether it be toast you know, pick whatever your thing, but I am amazed at the the standard deviation between the best and the not as good, not because of intellectual capacity, but the ability to represent themselves, Mm -hmm. right? And so what I'm big on is really trying to push the student to be able to represent themselves well, because people assume intellectual capacity and skill based on what comes out of your mouth. So, so I would, you know, so your point about workshops, you know, investing time in yourself outside of the classroom is really important.
3: When you said what comes out of your mouth, is right on, I gotta, I gotta share this with you. Please, this is, let this go home and burn in your brain. Yes. I have, we have nine students at Google right now, Morgan does, four of those are my personal students that we have worked with and things. I have, I have four students at JP Morgan and others. I have them at the intelligence. Every doc, My counterpart, as Lily knows, is Dr. Kevin Peters. His father graduated from Virginia Union. Very famous, by the way. You need to find out. but not, That's another issue. Make a long story short. We got funding under DHS and we've been doing for about 12 years. Make a long story. There's one thing at the end of every interview I tell the students. This is no exaggeration. The last question the interviewer is going to ask you is, do you have any questions for us? And I'm getting chills telling you this because this is such an important thing to respond in. State something, like I stated to my students at Google and others. I said, "Go think about what that that institution is unique about. So, I said, ask this question at the end. I say, are there any of the staff members I can work with who are working in the areas of quaternions? Who's heard of quaternions? Mathematics, who's taken math? Raise your hand. Mm -hmm. And if you get a chance, Google it, because who has iPhone? Who has Google, everything and other things. All these here, you're at, you, as you change and shift this around, it change, quaternions changes and shifts. The point is, is that leave that interviewer with scratching their head, saying, "Wow, this student has got it going on. What is it? They're asking something that make make me scratch my head." Every one of them, where every one of our students that have applied have been hired, because the bottom line is the very last question: Do you have any questions for us? Ask something that you know they're likely not to immediately grasp. Sorry, I had to say that. Fantastic. <laughs> that was out of your mouth. And I actually
1: wanna have you, Dr. Akers, say something else. <laughs> Tell them a little bit about how you partner with federal agencies, such as the Department of Treasury, to bring innovation and make HBCUs a game changer for the
3: future. Well, thanks. This here is facilitated by networking. This mm-hmm. wonderful colleague of mine to my right facilitated the introductions with uh, Ms. Jenkins and networking and it's all about networking. What of your corporate partners? And to build on that, give you an example, Uh, Delmock Technologies, Ms. Lily Milner introduced us, brought us to SmartProc, remember that? Fed 100, remember that? Mm -hmm. All of these, she introduced us to a number of the different um, corporate partners out there. We had networks, she introduced us to more. But as what Ms. Jenkins said, what we do is we identified an area that Treasury's not involved in, working together with um, um, Lisa, and uh, we've identified an area in DTI. And what we've identified is in the area where, who's heard of UARCs, University Affiliated Research Centers? Those are through DOD. But what we're doing in collaboration, may I be bold, is working because Melissa has taken the charge on us creating a UARC with Treasury that has never been that has never happened before. It's a university-affiliated research center. It's a major multi. It's a major effort, and around unique areas that we're looking at. But innovation. How do you bring an HBCU and government with the private sector around this? We have DTI. We have other major corporations that we're pulling into this effort. But that's what innovation. Did I am I answering your question?
1: You did. But the one thing you didn't do is tell them the areas where. HBCUs will be adding capacity, because I think that those and are game-changing oh,
3: that, areas. Yes. Yeah, and to, to thank you. To lay this, we've been identifying, right now we're here where the U.S. national security issue is quantum, the areas around quantum science, right? Have you all heard that? But here's an area that we've taken HBCUs that no one else has, Morgan has, is moving the areas of quantum literacy, we have a number of different agencies, federal agency, IC communities that are like, wow, we just submitted two days ago an NSF proposal around quantum literacy. In addition, we're moving in, into other specific areas, moving in certain areas of IoT and moving in internet of things, but we're moving also in the areas of logistics, moving in areas of, if I might, uh, blockchain, cryptocurrency, um, and moving into certain areas. HBCUs typically, from my experience, have, extraordinary innovation, but sometimes you have to take a leap forward and move into something that people are gonna scratch your head. Because right now we have other countries uh, that geopolitically are not necessarily our friends. They may be, um, we're not xenophobic. My wife's from the Philippines, so nothing like that. So it's not, but we gotta look at it geopolitically. And we have to realize quantum is an area occurring all over the world and the U.S. needs to maintain supremacy in that area. And what better than to move and get HBCUs to take the leadership role in creating a quantum literacy?
1: Are there any HBCUs leading any FFRDCs? And FFRDC rather stands for Federally Funded Research Development Centers? and or UARCs, University-Affiliated Research Centers. Well,
3: there are not, but as to what Ms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jink, what's that? There are not, but Morgan is the first one, along with four other HBCUs, uh, North Carolina A&T, uh, Bowie, uh, Northeastern Shore, and, um, and, uh, um, and please forgive me, this is embarrassing, I was right, and, and Howard. And all five of us have come together and working to create the first HRI, HBCU Research Institute for uh, NSA and in areas I can't go into right now, but it's a unique area that it's an FFRDC. And again, it's pushing the limit. Let the federal government see that we can push the limit because our students are geniuses. You just have to let them see that they're geniuses.
2: Now, Nicole said something earlier, which is gonna be critical for the kinds of things that we're talking about doing here, which is working together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is so, you know, I, if anything, The message I want to leave with folks is don't be afraid. What's yours is yours. Don't be afraid of introducing her to somebody else that might be competitive or whatever, because you'll end up back in, in the mix anyway. I think, you know, we can't have this kind of, you know, the pie is that big because, you know, when you look at it, McDonald's, everybody was doing hamburgers, but they created a pie out of no pie. And so we have to kind of say, What we have as an innovation means that we need everybody at the table. One of the things that I like about Morgan is they're always bringing other HBCUs to the table. They're not looking at it as competitive. Nicole does the same thing. You know, we have to really look at, Melissa's big on that, bringing everybody to the Mm table. Just one little nuance can make a difference. One of the things that happened this week, um, I have, I have a family member that works for a fortune five. And she was just amazed at the fact that she was sitting in the room with all these engineers and the person that is the CEO is sitting there of this fortune five. And he's saying, the people have to go through 25 steps in order to use this. Mm -hmm. And he's talking to them and they're like, oh, but we got it down to 22. And they're not (laughs) connecting because they're engineers. So even if you're doing something that is, Hardcore, you're going to need somebody to look at it and say, yeah, it's great, but nobody's going to use it because there's too many steps. How do we bring it into a dashboard? How does it work? And that only happens by bringing different people to the table, marketing geniuses, you know, different branding or whatever to make that difference. And they're waiting there for you to say, hey, can you help me? So those are the kinds of things. And that company has been able to maintain a global presence because that CEO is like, okay, I'm not going to leave this room until you guys come up with a solution because 25 steps going down to 22 is not acceptable. I want this in five. And he sends them back to the room. Those are the kinds of things that you have the power to do and look at which the innovation you have that may be great. But how does it become? We talked about commercialization. Part of that is user friendly. And and there are people you know that can help you get there. Can I I
6: add a nugget? Completely unrelated, but she Mm -hmm. says something about 25 to 22 that I I focus on. And that is, when you say 25 to 22, you're making an internal statement that kind of looks like you're celebrating progress. Mm -hmm. What I tell folks all the time, I had a meeting with my engineering team just this morning, and they were telling me about how we've improved around a product. And how much better it was this year than last year and i said the market is global we're thinking globally we should be thinking about how how to be best in class not just how to improve right and so when i hear you think about 25 to 22 i'm sure the ceo is sitting there saying how do we make sure we're best in the industry we're best in the world not that we just make incremental improvements right so think globally think big as you try to impact organizations I know it was not on the agenda. No,
1: it's actually actually a good point. Excellent. I know that they are saying that I'm tight on time. So I wanted to round up and have each of the speakers. Yes. Sorry. Yeah.
2: Um, a lot of you uh, talked about knowing your worth and uh, having equity. Um, I think one of the challenges is, especially for
6: young people, they don't know these things. They don't know about funding. They don't know investment on one on one. Um, what are companies doing, or what are you guys doing at, at your universities that are educating? Because a big, a lot of the stuff is education. Like they don't know that you know, getting ten million dollars for this VC in their C round may not be the best idea. How are we educating people to kind of understand that stuff before they go off into these you know these big these big corporations?
2: Mm. Well, one of my uh, dearest friends. Uh, Dr. Mm Jafis, he actually had a um, he's out of Baltimore Mm -hmm. and he has an African-American think tank. The average age of the folks in this think tank are about 22, 23. They set up minority um, health from NIH, actually gave them a grant. And they actually um, in December had this SBI, um, small business innovation research and literally taught folks how to develop it, what phases and how to keep their product. So I can share with you Dr. this information. He's big on empowering young folks and what have you. But it's basically saying, I don't know, to, to us or somebody else, and, and say, who would you refer me to to begin the conversation?
6: Yeah, the one, one thing I'll ask, since we only have a few minutes left, and I'll yield my time since I'm <laughs> answering his question and be respectful of the other panelists. Uh, what I try to tell my children is, whatever you're majoring in, make sure you take some business classes Mm -hmm. don't don't waste your electives and I don't mean that to sound as harsh as I mean by waste but don't waste your electives on just taking other classes whether whether you're doing engineering computer science that does not matter take some business classes because the mix of whatever your discipline is and understanding more about business broadens you so I think from a foundational perspective, it starts at the university system and in stretching yourself to go beyond just your core discipline. And as and as you build that knowledge, it will branch you out to use think tanks in other areas. So I'll yield my time.
1: Thank you so much. Does anyone wanna share any takeaways for the audience?
5: Um, this probably would answer a little bit of his question. Um, because entrepreneurship is, um, so prevalent in the market and in Mm -hmm. hbcus and they're beginning to have entrepreneurship programs i can say at hbcus versus um one of the universities that we're connected with um is georgia tech in georgia i have an office in georgia and so they have their small business procurement center there where they have um Free courses like that, so I'd, I'd encourage all of you um, at HBCUs or just starting out, and you're at your state and local level, look at your small business procurement centers, your MBDA's, mm-hmm. minority mm-hmm. business development agencies, because they have those think tanks, they have those classes on equity and you know growing your business or getting your product out there, and I think that's a smart way to go until we can actually build those out in the HBCUs. Mm-hmm.
3: And if I might say, it's very important to find um, venture capitalists, uh, especially minority black owned uh, Meridian Management Group out of Baltimore. A good friend of mine is a president, founder, CEO uh, Stanley Tucker as an example. He looks for predominantly African-American young women and men, along with others. But he's graduated from Morgan in like the 60s. So um, Meridian Management Group does exactly what you're saying. They would love to meet young folks around entrepreneurial ideas and but find a venture capitalist. And we also, an Office of Tech yeah. Transfer, too. I so also look
5: into like accelerators or accelerator programs. I don't know what year you're in. So I work for Zero to 510 for medical device accelerators specifically. So if that's not your industry, there are also a bunch of universities that host summer accelerators, summer entrepreneurship programs that teach you heavily venture capital,
3: product development,
2: and all the other
3: aspects a good of point. Like, that particular industry. That's a great point. Accelerators are great.
1: Fantastic. I'm honored to share the fact with you today that HBCUs have been delivering capabilities to the federal government in a litany of NAICS code program areas such as program management support, cybersecurity, IT, data analytics, accounting, using them as a first source in federal government is a newer concept in government. It's kind of hard for us to discern where HBCUs fit in, at least but not for me, though. I understand. And I'm like your capability capture manager. I have done the drill down to see where the federal government spend resides across all federal agency partners. So if you need help to see where you can play, send me an email. My name is Melissa Jenkins. I go by Lisa. My email address is melissa.jenkins at treasury.gov. Melissa.jenkins at Treasury.gov. I do answer my emails. I love answering emails, by the way, 24 to 48 hours. If you can't find me on email, you can certainly call me. My phone number, area code 202-622-8213. I look forward in hearing from each and every one of you. If you are wanting to partner with any of these small businesses and or large business integrator and or help um the university's up send me an email i look forward to hearing from you thank you so much for coming to our session we are here to network after the session thank you
2: thank you,
0: thank you for listening to let's make a deal hbcus and technology commercialization a professional development seminar featuring Program Manager and Industry Liaison Program Analyst for the U.S. Department of Treasury, Melissa Jenkins. Assistant Vice President for Research Innovation and Advocacy for Morgan State University, Dr. Timothy Akers. CEO and Founder of the Ellison Group, LLC, Nicole Parker-Green. Executive Vice President for Delmont Technologies Incorporated, Lily Milner and Chief Revenue Officer for Tanium, Thomas Stanley. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the BAYA STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.baya.org. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.